0: What are your qualifications
1: ah well i attended Juilliard. i'm a graduate of harvard business school i travel quite extensively i lived through the black plague and i had a pretty good time during that i've seen the exorcist about 167 times and it keeps getting funnier every single time i see it not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy now what do you think
0: it's showtime well hello there listeners welcome back to the best movie you've ever heard in your entire life it is the one and only Popcorn Society. And with me as always is Troy. Troy, how you doing today, tonight? How's it going? I'm great, Bryn. Just can't wait to start talking about our next movie. I know, Uh, I'm excited. I'm always excited, but I love this time of year. I mean, it's fall, it's, it's football season. The weather's changing a bit and it's Halloween and I love it because it's just fun decorations, scary movies, costumes. And before you know it, it's like Thanksgiving and Christmas and these last two or three months just kind of fly by. We are going to be doing some Halloween stuff the next few episodes and we're going to start it off with a, a classic here. Uh, Troy, why don't you tease what we're going to be talking about today?
1: We are going to be talking about Beetlejuice, released in 1988 and directed
0: by Tim Burton. OMG. This is good stuff. And uh, I will get into a lot of this um this Beetlejuice podcast gold, uh, as I like to call it. I'm excited. I kind of wanted to talk about a few, you know, a few things that have to do with this episode as we, before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of, of Beetlejuice. Now that we're talking about kind of this horror, scary movie genre, as we're in Halloween, as we're in October, I was curious. I mean, you're a horror guy. What are some of your like favorite scary movies or horror movies? Are those, they're not always the same thing or like, cause one can be scary and not can be horror or vice versa,
1: right? I mean, I think I kind of told you in the last episode, because we were talking about drive-in movies. Yeah. And I think that was the first time I experienced kind of watching a horror movie, because Jaws was playing in the background. I distinctly recall seeing my very first true horror film. Of course, I'd been aware of them. You know, I I knew of The Exorcist and Halloween, but I never watched them. I hadn't even seen Jaws at this point. But the first time I really sat down and watched a horror film. It was A Nightmare on Elm Street. I was at home by myself. I had rented the movie and I watched it and I was excited and scared. It was kind of like prom, but <laughs> I fell in love with it ever since. And I have been an avid horror fan since then. You know, And I like all types. I like the classic horrors. You know, I, I've seen things all the way back to the Nosferatu and the Cabinet of D- Dr. Caligari. I love all the James Wall's Frankenstein movies, the slasher movies from Halloween to Friday the 13th to the modern stuff like The Conjuring and Hereditary. Anything horror. This is your favorite genre. Safe it to is. Stay. It is probably pretty much my favorite genre. And I don't know if you know this, but I've also written a horror script. I just was able to
0: belt out a horror script. Yeah, I did know that. Our listeners probably didn't. Um, Shout out to Parallax, right? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, That's one of the shorts that I wrote, but I wrote a feature length horror
1: script too that never got produced. It almost got produced, um, but it was called Buzz and it was kind of a slasher type flick. That was the first thing when I moved back out to California and started writing. That was the first thing I wrote so where can i where can i
0: read this do you have it i want to read it i want to check it out is it Mm. scary give us uh uh, the four-on-one
1: on buzz it's pretty much you know your typical high school kids graduating they they go up to they rent a cabin up in the san gabriel mountains
0: yeah where there's a new so far yeah
1: (laughs) where there's a a abandoned lumberjack that or a lumber mill that has a history there and one by one they slowly get
0: picked off by a mysterious murderer so kind of like friday the 13th ish type of vibe but it's not a guy in a hockey mask it's a different kind of murder, and i'm sure different story altogether besides that that's pretty cool i don't think i I knew that but i do want to read it how long did it take you to write that i wrote it in two weeks and you still have it saved somewhere on like a hard drive or you have like a manuscript I do. I have it saved. It's actually
1: registered with the Writers Guild of America. It's out there. If you want to read it, well, maybe (laughs) we'll put it. Maybe we'll put in the notes somewhere. We'll put a link to the script if any of our listeners want to
0: read that script. I think our listeners would love that. I mean, if I love it, chances are they love it.
1: The thing I love the most about horror films or why I enjoy the genre. First of all, the majority of horror films that come out are awful they are not good.
0: Yeah, it kind of lends itself to some bad filmmaking too, right?
1: It For does. some reason. It's just because it's an easy genre to get into if you're an aspiring filmmaker, because you don't need a big cast, you don't need a big budget. You know, you just need a good script. But unfortunately, there's a lot out there that people think they're good and they get produced and they're not. So that's why I also think that when a good horror film comes out, it's just amazing because there's just so much trash that's out there. When a gem comes out, like, you know, hereditary in the last few years, I just recently saw Talk To Me, which was actually really good. The majority of good horror films that come out don't have big names, they don't have big budgets, they just have a cool original concept or idea. They do an effective job of kind
0: of creeping you out or scaring you. Talk to me about uh, this recent one I heard about, I think it came out a year ago, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. <laughs> what was, was that one uh, a high on your list or is that one a disaster?
1: That's one of those films <laughs> that definitely fall under the category of trash. That film mostly just, it was getting by on the fact that it had Winnie the Pooh in the title. And I think yeah. that was its the sole thing that was going for it. Oh, you get to see Pooh Bear murder people, but which is easy because Winnie the Pooh is in the public domain. I mean, you could write a horror film about Pinocchio or Snow White because all those stories right. are in the like public domain. Like after a hundred
0: years or so, they become public domain, right? Is that the time? Right.
1: I think it's like 75 years 75. or so. So, and there's nothing Disney can do about it. Like you can write a, you can write a porn film about Snow
0: White if you want to, and Disney can do nothing about it. Huh, give me ideas here. <laughs> All right, write that down. Yeah, I don't know why I thought about Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh uh, Blood and Honey. But yeah, I mean, I, I like horror too, kind of. I'm not really a big horror guy the last 20 years. I mean, I think it's like some of the classics I do remember, like The Nightmare Before Elm Street, Friday the 13th. I mean, those things scare the crap out of me when I was young. As I've been an adult, maybe post Blair Witch Project, it's like I don't want to feel scared. So I don't really seek out horror films um, or scary movies. Sometimes they just come across and I'll watch one anyways, but very little these days. The most recent one I watched, I don't know, it's been a while. I didn't see any any of the Conjuring movies. You know what kind of movie does bother me that I will avidly avoid? Anything that has to do with like possession, devil, possession. That just like freaks me out, man. Like when there's, you know, exorcisms going on. I've seen the exorcist, people being possessed by the devil or demons and doing crazy stuff like that's like biblical in nature, it like, it scares me. Maybe I like more of the the Mickey Mouse, not so scary Halloween type movies, like Hocus Pocus or something like that. It's a genre I appreciate nevertheless. And I'm glad we're going to kind of dive into it today uh, with Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is more of like a kind of a family friendly horror film. Not not really even a horror film, it's just like a scary film, right? I mean, how do you categorize Beetlejuice?
1: I would say it's more of a dark comedy dark comedy then. there you go but the themes are horror themes because you have ghosts you have a haunted house but mm-hmm. it's more of a dark comedy than anything else
0: I would agree with you on that and another thing I wanted to touch on too is that this film came out in the 1980s 1988 I was alive I, I do remember it but not that well because I was about five six years old but I wanted to ask you I mean you're you know you probably have a better memory what was life like back in 1988. Do you remember this movie being in theaters? And do you remember like Halloween back in the 80s? Like what kind of memories bring you back to 1988 the Olympics I mean what do you got for me the Olympics
1: that year were in Atlanta I believe no
0: no no it wasn't no. it was in Seoul like Seoul, Seoul yes, Korea
1: Seoul. so in 88 I was still in the Navy I remember I didn't see Beetlejuice originally in the theater when it came out in the theater I was actually on leave and I was at my mother's house she lived in San Diego and I went to the video store. I rented two movies, Beetlejuice on the recommendation of the video clerk, and I rented Evil Dead 2 because the cover looked cool. I watched Beetlejuice first, loved it. Absolutely loved it. And then I watched Evil Dead 2, which is more of a true horror film, even though that one is kind of campy, mm-hmm. but um, but I loved both those films. So it was
0: a win-win for me that particular night. I got to see you both remember, those movies. You remember actually the night you went to the video store to rent Beetlejuice. That's awesome.
1: And then, you know, life in the 80s, especially the late 80s, was kind of weird for me, at least. I was in the Navy. You know, that was a time of big shoulder pads and parachute pants. Leggings were a big thing then with the, you know, the leg warmers. I, I think
0: about like Michael Jackson in the 1980s. That's like comes to my mind in terms of pop culture. I think for movies in general, like the 80s is kind of a a glory decade in terms of film. I mean, so many good films harken back to the 1980s. It's, I mean, again, I was I was alive, I was young. I have, you know, some memories, but not a, a lot. But what a good time, right?
1: The thing about the 80s that were, like the early 80s when I was in high school, um, mid 80s, I didn't go out to see a lot of movies in the theaters. I saw a lot of the big stuff I wasn't going to see a movie every week like I kind of do now but and since I was in the navy I missed a lot of releases when they came out to the theater so I Mm -hmm. saw a lot of movies on VHS because that's you know I was out to sea or overseas and I didn't get a chance to see the movies when they're in the theater. So but so no, fortunately, no, watching movies on,
0: on when you're out, when you're out to sea, you can't watch any movies out there, right?
1: Now you can like you now there's you can. internet and streaming. But back then, no, no. like the movies we would watch on, on the ships were they were on VHS. They were on a loop. And oh, it was good. so they had was, some movie
0: nights on the ships for you.
1: They had movies every night when we were out to sea like i said they were just on a vhs and it was whatever person picked for the ship who decided what movies were going to play that night so yeah and there was there would be some cool movies but it was nothing recent it was all older movies so i missed a lot of movie releases during the the latter part of the 80s because i was in the navy i'm sure i would have seen beetlejuice in the theater when it first came out but I was on board a battleship, so I was unable to do so. Seeing it on VHS was great. It was awesome. I was fortunate enough a few years ago, I did see it on the big screen. Um, There was a, I think, Studio Movie Grill in Simi Valley was screening it and I went with a friend. She was very excited because she had never seen it on the big screen either. So awesome
0: getting to see it on the big screen. Rewind a little bit. Studio Movie Grill. Is that like a dinner and kind a of movie type thing? I don't think yeah. I've been to one of those. Exactly. Am I, am I missing out on something? Is it like a restaurant and a movie theater in one it's, experience?
1: It's one of those, Yep, yeah, right, where they you, they have a menu. There's a server you order food, they bring it to you. I got my go-to
0: chicken tenders and a Diet Coke. Well, a lot you of know, theaters do that. They'll bring you food at, the, at your seat, but this seems more of like a a different level.
1: They had a bar and cocktails. It's not as unique anymore because almost every theater now, especially AMC, you can, they'll bring food to your seat. They just had more because there was pizza and and there was like some entrees and salads. I wasn't there for the food. I was there to see Beetlejuice (laughs) and it was awesome.
0: No doubt. I don't know. We could talk about the eighties for a long time. We could talk we could have a whole podcast discussion on VHS tapes and the the experience of renting or going to the movie store and renting a movie. A lot of memories, a lot of things I could talk about as far as that goes. Let's get in, let's get into it, man. Let's talk about Beetlejuice. So we mentioned already it came out in 1988. And you can't talk about Beetlejuice without talking about the director, Tim Burton, getting to the composer as well, which is Danny Elfman. Those guys are kind of joined at the hip. But it came out in 1988. Tim Burton's first feature film, I believe, after Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which he directed, also in 1985. Tim Burton is like a cultural icon, a phenomenon. I think he kind of, in this time period, from 1988 when Beetlejuice came out to about 19, I'd say 92, it's like the quintessential Tim Burton experience for me. I'll list off a few movies he did in this this time span. So Beetlejuice, 1988. Not mentioning as much Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which I loved as a kid as well. But we'll talk. We'll start with Beetlejuice, 1988. Batman, 1989. Edward Scissorhands, 1990. Batman Returns, 1992. I think that's the Tim Burton sweet spot. I'm so glad we live in a world that I was born in a time where Tim Burton existed as a filmmaker because he's so unique. He's so awesome. I mean, his stuff the last 20 years, not as memorable as much for me. Maybe it's just because I was a kid in those early times. Do you think those those four films, those five years are, are quintessential and peak Tim Burton?
1: Oh, they're definitely, if you're a Tim Burton fan, those are the films that probably made you a Tim Burton fan. I would say the, I would add one more movie that he did, that i enjoyed a lot actually two one was more of a true kind of horror movie which was sleepy hollow which Mm -hmm. uh, kind of falls under a lot of people's radar yeah and then another one which is more kind of a departure of him from kind of the quirky odd films that he did was big fish which i i thought was a fantastic movie those are the true tim burton films that i collect in his Oeuvre, so to say. For me, it started with Pee-wee's Big Adventure. In high school, that was everybody was talking about that movie. It seemed like we were quoting that movie all the time. Right. Beetlejuice is probably my favorite Tim Burton movie.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you like if you had a favorite kind of off the beaten path uh, Tim Burton movie, not counting the popular ones. So you'd probably say Sleepy Hollow, Big Fish. Big Fish, that was with Ewan McGregor, right? That's correct. It's Sleepy Hollow. I always love watching that during Halloween time. I, it just reminds me I need to watch it. I think that came out with in mean, 1999 with Johnny Depp. He did a lot of movies with Johnny Depp, which is awesome. And I want to talk about Danny Elfman as well, because you can't talk about Tim Burton without Danny Elfman. Like the universe put these guys together. And I'm so grateful. For that, and I was able to, I still can't experience it because they're kind of like peas and carrots, peanut butter and jelly. Get the Danny Elfman experience with Beetlejuice and his score. The score of Batman is absolutely classic. I love it. Edward Scissorhands, I listen to that every Christmas season. These guys are always collaborating together. If I had to ask you the question, Troy, like, all right, I'm from Mars. I'm an alien coming down to Earth. And I want you to show me, I want you to show me Tim Burton and Danny Elfman film. You got to pick one. Are you picking Beetlejuice?
1: If I have to base it on those two, like what is their best collaboration? Yeah. I'm probably picking Batman.
0: Batman? Okay. Yeah. Again, I'm I'm not from this planet. I don't know who either person is. I want you to just show me the the Tim Burton Danny Elfman experience and you're going to pick Batman I, that's a pretty good choice I mean Batman I love that film as well I think you like Batman Returns better though than the original Batman 89 is that right I do the thing with Batman I was very very
1: excited for Batman coming out mm-hmm. Beetlejuice kind of is what gave Tim Burton the idea to cast Michael Keaton um, right he, he liked him so much that and I always thought Michael Keaton was the worst pick to be Batman. You're one of and the I, ones that really
0: kind of threw a fit when you heard the casting
1: oh, back. I threw an Batman. absolute fit. I thought he's too short. He's a comedian. Oh, he's okay. a comedic actor. How wrong you were, Troy. How wrong. I you were. I, I wasn't that wrong. <laughs> I'm still not a big fan. I would still say Michael Christian Bale is probably my favorite Batman. And I think I even like the Ben Affleck Batman better than
0: I like the Michael Keaton. Batman. Okay. I think they're all pretty good, but I just have a special place in my heart for Keaton. I mean, don't you? I, I do. I mean, when Tim
1: Burton, when the first trailer for Batman was released, and this was back when I was watching trailers, I was floored. I thought Tim Burton nailed the look, you know, that scene where Batman comes crashing down through the the window of the, of the roof right. and his capes flowing out, you know, he had him dressed in black. It wasn't the blue and the gray from the comic books. Even then, I felt that Michael Keaton did a good job. He's not my favorite Batman, but he did a good job, especially being the first one to really do a serious take on Batman. I think he had the voice right. He had the demeanor right. I just still felt he was too short he wasn't
0: yeah bulky a big physical presence kind of exactly you
1: know exactly the reason why i like batman returns more than batman is i think tim burton did great with the original batman in getting the feel of the character correct the story i thought was a little weak i didn't like the the screenplay that much i thought Jack Nicholson was a little over the top. He's not my favorite Joker, but I really liked uh, in Batman Returns. I really liked Danny DeVito's portrayal of the penguin and I liked the Catwoman angle to it. So I just liked that movie more than the original Batman.
0: Well, I would say, I think people would agree that Batman Returns is more of a Tim Burton kind of film than Batman 89. Maybe that's why I like Batman 89 more. It's just like it had enough Tim Burton, but not too much of Tim Burton's influence. I feel like he kind of took the, he got, once it was so successful, he had the green light to kind of do what he wanted more on Batman Returns. He put more of his stamp and more of his thumbprint, whatever you want to call that, on Batman Returns. But Batman just felt more like a comic book film like you said, dark. And again, we don't need to talk about Batman forever, but it's hard not to. It shows a uh, range, Batman too, of forever. Keaton, because Keaton went from Beetlejuice to Batman, two totally different characters. He's a phenomenal actor still to this day. I mean, going back to Beetlejuice, he nailed it as well. So we'll get into Keaton a little bit more. But just to finish up on, off on, on Tim Burton, what more can you say? Did you know, though, he is from Burbank, California, kind of your neck of the woods. So he's like... He's one of us. He's like a California guy. He's a valley guy. He's not like us in terms of how odd he is and weird he is, kind of like his films. But you got to give up some love for a local guy from California. Getting back to
1: the Tim Burton-Danny Elfman collaboration, Mm -hmm. I remember growing up in Southern California, I was a huge Oingo Boingo fan. That's how I knew Danny Elfman. And then when he started doing movie scores, I thought, oh, he's doing movie scores now. That how's that gonna go? I don't know. And I think the first time I remember or seeing his name in credits for a movie score, it was for the Rodney Dangerfield film. It was a comedy about him going back to college and I forget what it was called. Back to Um, school? Yes, I think that was, you did. And that was the first time I remember seeing Danny Elfman did this score, you know, and then of course, Danny Elfman became famous when he started working with Tim Burton and he just really took off. And I think Batman really shot him to the stars. But Beetlejuice has a great score as well. We could probably tell our listeners that you and I went to the Hollywood Bowl to see a screening of Nightmare Before Christmas. And Another and Elfman the, and Burton right.
0: creation, even though Burton technically didn't direct it. I mean, he basically put it together. It's right. a Burton production.
1: But Danny Elfman conducted the orchestra while they, because at the Hollywood Bowl, they'll yeah. play the film while, to a live orchestra. And Danny Elfman played it. And then to my delight, after the movie, he actually did Dead Man's Party from Oingo Boingo, which I sang every lyric to yeah. while he was
0: playing it. And I think you great. were amazed.
1: You were like, wait, wait you know
0: this? <laughs> that was a that good was memory. Pretty, that, was that was pretty, pretty awesome. Like five years ago. Yeah, Danny Elfman kicks ass, man. I don't know how else to put it. He, he, he rocked it out. During that Boingo Boingo performance, we we watched uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, another great film, Nightmare Before Christmas. We'll talk about that another time, too. Man, there's so much you could talk about with Tim Burton, with Danny Elfman. Let's kind of bring it back home and, and dig more into the cast of Beetlejuice. We touched on Michael Keaton. Um, you also have Alec Baldwin playing Adam in this film. Wow, he looks different. I mean, he, he looks like a different person, Alec Baldwin back in 88 or 87 when we filmed it. But like, wow, he's so skinny. It's pretty amazing. So, but yeah, that is Alec Baldwin. Gina Davis plays Barbara. Winona Ryder plays Lydia. Catherine O'Hara, love her. I mean, if, you're, if you've if you seen... Schitt's Creek. Schitt's Creek, it lost me for a moment. I mean, <laughs> that kind of has revived my love for Catherine O'Hara. And also Home Alone. I mean, she was also great in this film. And Jeffrey Jones, as Charles, always loved him from ferris bueller's day off i mean he played the principal what was his name mr or principal it's eluding I forget, me i forget his name too i'll figure it out he's the principal on ferris bueller's day off love that film um so the cast is great i'll touch on gina davis a little bit too i think she didn't really shine as much in this film when i think about gina davis and her best work i always always think about a league of their own. Gina Davis was great kind of during that time period or Thelma and Louise, but Alec Baldwin kind of was serviceable as well. Even though it wasn't really about about them as a family, I don't think they really stood out as kind of the main characters as much as Michael Keaton and even Winona Ryder did, Lydia.
1: The thing about this movie though, is that for me, this film introduced me to these actors. I don't recall ever seeing them in anything before this. And I think they're all great actors. You know, Alec Baldwin's great when he's not shooting people in the face. Gina Davis is great. Catherine O'Hara, like you said, I've yeah. always loved her. And she's great in this movie. You had and, seen Michael
0: Keaton before either. I mean, he had probably had some runway before this. I ha- Yeah.
1: And I, and I had seen him in Ron Howard's Night Shift. Night Shift. Um, that was probably, I think, the first time. But this was... Pretty much, yeah, his first breakout. It was the first time I had seen Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, and Renata Ryder. I love all those actors. Renata Ryder's performance in this movie made me want to go see Heather's when it came out the following year. And that's Mm -hmm. one of my favorite movies of all time as well. You know, Tim Burton did a great job, I think, with finding this cast. They all did wonderful. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're right. Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, they play pretty much straight roles. You know, there's nothing...
0: Yeah, nothing um, outlandish. I mean, they do right. But, yeah. you know,
1: Lydia plays a dark goth teenager and she does it great. It's just and Michael Keaton. I mean, he steals the movie as Beetlejuice. Just finding this young talent that really some people had never heard about. Most people had never heard about and really launched their careers because of this movie.
0: It's kind of funny. We don't we don't think about this as much, but you go back to these movies. And at the time, like you said, they weren't really known actors. Of course, we know them now. You know, looking back, oh, of course, Gina Davis, Alec Baldwin. But. If you go back to 1988, these are people that nobody had heard of in terms of acting. And now they're huge, probably in part because of this movie. So, pretty cool to think about. Jeffrey Jones, Mr. Edward Rooney. Rooney. Mr. Rooney. Yes, Yes. from
1: Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I would say he was the only actor that I had recognized Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So, and he had done some other things before that I, but he was probably the only actor the main cast that i had seen before in a movie everybody yeah. else everybody else was new to me
0: yeah and i liked what he did well uh, as well because watching it again he's just a, a guy that's trying to relax out in the countryside in his new home get away from the city contrast that against his his wife who's just out there and outlandish in Catherine O'Hara's delia and does all his sculptures and does these weird things to the house and he's just kind of like frustrated because he just wants to be there and relax, and all this stuff starts happening around him. You can see that kind of play well, out in the movie. Should I go ahead and do the popcorn Let's do plot? It. Let's do it. All right, guys. Are you going to tie me? Ladies and gentlemen, we are to the popcorn plot part of the movie. We are going to go over the plot in 60 seconds or less. Troy is going to be on the clock. Are you ready, Troy? I'm ready. And go. So, Beetlejuice
1: is a film about a young couple played by. Um, Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, they play the Maitlands, they die in a car accident at the beginning of the movie and they become ghosts and they haunt their own home. Um, their home is purchased by Jeffrey Jones and his wife Katherine O'Hara and her daughter, um, Lydia, actually it's his daughter it's her stepdaughter and so the Maitlands try to get rid of them because they want the house to themselves. So they wind up hiring Michael Keaton's Beetlejuice, who is a spirit who um, specializes in scaring the living. But he's actually trying to um, become a permanent part of the living world by marrying Lydia and hijinks ensue. And at the end of it, they find a way to all live together and um, be a nice, big, happy haunted family. Pretty good. Uh, you were at one minute and
0: five seconds. I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get there before you. You're still, You're still doing way better than me. I'm like a yes. minute 20, minute 15. So I need to do better on the popcorn plot, but good job. That is essentially the plot of Beetlejuice in a minute or less, or a minute and five seconds. Good stuff. The plot is not, like, too complicated. I don't know if... Did Tim Burton write this? I didn't really research who actually wrote it. I don't think he did, right? He He's not credited, but he did have a hand. Tim Burton is... He'll, he's never credited
1: for writing, though he'll get some story. I don't think he's ever gotten, like, a screenplay um, mm-hmm. credit. From what I've read, he does influence the story quite a bit
0: all right just wasn't sure on that i'm sure you're right he does influence the story the overall feel of this movie i don't know like how to describe it it is like odd it is weird and that's tim burton style and there's something i kind of found in tim burton films i don't know if you if you kind of realize this as well i don't see it out there in terms of like trivia or like or director you know trends but i notice in a lot of tim burton films he always has somebody working or living or being in like a rooftop or an attic. Do you see that as well? Let me just give you a few examples. So in uh, this movie, they're stuck in the attic, right? In the roof, essentially the Maitlands are the Maitlands. Yeah. They're stuck in the attic. Edward scissor hands when he's, when they find him. he's in the rooftop, he's in the attic and he comes down. The movie actually ends there as well. Um, Sleepy hollow actually, um, Icky Bud Crane actually does his research and whatnot and kind of does his thing in an attic on a roof. Uh you can look at Batman 89, the end of that movie takes place on a rooftop, on an attic. Batman returns, the penguin, he kind of makes his little his little home on the on the street level when he comes up from the sewer in an attic. So it's just like one thing after another. Jack in um The Night Before Christmas works in a rooftop attic. So this is just like everywhere. He just is obsessed with attics and rooftops. Am I crazy? Have you you noticed that before?
1: No, I I have, and I think that's just part of his. You know, he's very influenced. I think by he loves the goth style, the gothic style of filmmaking, Mm -hmm. very much the German impressionists of the early 20s and 30s and that was also a theme of theirs dark shadows um working above yeah the addict is seen where like you keep all the undesirables right yeah and all it's the, creepy the attic all is the creepy place right, right. Mm-hmm. all the normals are downstairs and the undesirables are upstairs all the odd and that's that's Tim Burton he associates with the odd odd people, and the outsiders and the outcasts who are
0: in the attic. Tucked away the in the part. attic somewhere, you know, collecting right. spiderwebs on them and, and living in the dark, you know? Right. I, I don't know, but it's just like a trend that I just had to had to voice out there to my, to our listeners about Tim Burton and his obsession with attics and rooftops. Pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. What else about Beetlejuice did you find, like, fascinating? I'll, I'll kind of mention one, watching the movie again, you don't really... Or I realized more but like I looked it up but like Michael Keaton actually does not have a lot of screen time every minute is a gem and I think and a lot of Michael
1: Keaton's lines he improvised during wow. the where the Maitland's asked him to give him his resume Michael Keaton he improvised 90 percent of that and mm-hmm. to me that's the gem other than the visual style that Tim Burton created with this movie the writing is very fast paced it's especially michael keaton's beetlejuice you know he's just throwing lines out there a mile a minute it is a very clever movie you know it's a twist on the haunted house because in this case the house is from the perspective of the ghosts and they believe they're being haunted by the living yeah
0: as a, the as living opposed... are the bad guys right? They, right the living are the bad people they want to get out as opposed to the ghosts that you try to get out it's like flip on the, the flip the script flip the story the, the it, living are the bad people at the end of it this movie is a dark comedy but it also has a lot
1: of heart like you say you know jeffrey jones character um, of mr Deeds. he just wants to go out to the country and relax you know and he buys his home to do that and then Catherine o'hara who's his newest wife she's that eccentric artist and she reluctantly goes out there, as well as Lydia, who doesn't really want to be out there. You know, she tries to make the home something that her hipster New York friends would like. And, and she makes horrible sculptures. Horrible she sculptures. makes horrible <laughs> sculptures that belong in a horror film. <laughs> you know, at the end of the movie, they all find their place. You know, they're, they're really, other than Beetlejuice, who's technically the villain, but even, it's, he's not a villain that you hate. You know, he's a likable bad right. guy. Right. And I don't, and I think all the characters in here, they all, you know, they all have some heart and then there's something redeemable about all of them. And at the end of it, you don't really, you know, leave it saying like, oh, I'm glad somebody got their comeuppance. It's just,
0: yeah. the movie
1: has a lot of heart. You feel good at the end of this movie. Everybody kind of goes away happy, except for Otto. You know, oh, he's the- got a lip. Otho, sorry. He lives in his his white polyester suit for the rest of the the movie. He's probably the
0: least likable character in the film. I forget the actor's name. I don't have it in front of me. Yes, Um, he was
1: also in Heather's as well. Oh, he
0: was? Yes.
1: Yeah, for for the most part, it's just a, the writing is very clever. And it is that twist on the haunted house story. But at the end of it, everybody kind of lives happily
0: ever after. You're right. And I I kind of piggyback what you said, um, or to echo what you said about, Uh, Michael Keaton's performance, we kind of talk about this a lot, but it's worth talking about. It reminds me almost of The Dark Knight, where Heath Ledger is not on the screen, actually that much of the movie, but whenever he is, you're just drawn to him, to Heath Ledger's performance. In a similar way, but for different reasons, you're drawn to Michael Keaton in the little time he is in this movie. The improvisation, the ad-libs, I mean, he kind of has some one-liners that... I don't know if he invented them, but like maybe fra- coined the phrase, but the, fr- the phrase like it's showtime, like he says that it's very famously kind of a meme of him goes with the most, you know, even the name Beetlejuice, pretty funky name in and of itself. And just calling that name three times to get him to come out of the uh, the dead world or the underworld. It has so many gems in this film. And like you said, it's it's a feel good movie. It's not really scary. It's kind of a a dark comedy it just hit for some reason at that time in the late 80s and it has it's like had legs all the way up to this time even even today i think i was on hbo max and it's like one of the top five like trending movies one of my
1: favorite scenes of any movie and especially in this movie is the dinner scene where beetlejuice is haunting them and you know and it's just so amazing they do that musical number and it's hilarious Every time I see that scene, I have the biggest smile on my face. It never gets old. I just, it was just little touches like that, that are just great. I think that scene kind of embodies the movie as a whole. I mean, they're being possessed by Beetlejuice. And technically it's supposed to, that's supposed to scare them out of the house, right? But it kind of does the opposite. It makes them want to go and see the ghosts at that point. They think it's awesome that they were possessed yeah. by It's just such a great scene, you know? When yeah. Catherine O'Hara just starts belting out the Harry yeah. Oh,
0: Delia, lighten up.
1: I would rather talk about... Dale. 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 Dale cute, dear, yeah. It's cute,
0: Delia. It's just... And they
1: start dancing around the... To me, it's always funny because I thought, well, why did beetlejuice think that was going to scare them all i mean other than the fact that they were possessed
0: but yeah it's just well i have a know. correction though it was actually the maitlands that were actually using that to oh that's it. right i'm sorry right. It, like it didn't work and right. they thought it would work and they had like the the shrimp cocktail coming to come up and grab their faces after they're dancing to that song right the title of that song it lose me but it's forever tied to the beetlejuice film right and that doesn't work they're like all right Let's go check out this beetle guy and that's right. when they kind of they, they bring Beetlejuice into the fray and that's and they're convinced it's going to work they yeah. like, thought that this this was going to be it
1: but it's such a it's a heartwarming scene and lydia's just in the background kind of like what the heck's going on here to me that scene just sums up the whole movie just it's a feel-good right. scene you smile um Throughout that whole scene, and that's just the way I feel about the whole movie. the The movie as a whole, I smile every time I think about it. i I can watch that movie every year. I try to watch it. I don't always do it, but it's one of my, like you said, one of my go to Halloween films that I. And the great thing is, you don't even have to watch this film during Halloween. You can watch it any time of the year, and True, it, it's
0: great. I tend to watch it only during Halloween, but you know, I like to keep my movies seasonal. Mm-hmm. It just makes the, the the time of the year. Feel right for me. What about kind of the final scene? Not the final scene, but like the climactic scene when Beetlejuice gets called by Lydia to save uh, Adam and Barbara from this this kind of spell that Otho's was putting them on. That was actually dying again. That was pretty cool too. I don't know if it's as like played as much, but Beetlejuice pops out and kind of just does his magic and makes saves the the Maitlands, and then he wants to marry. Uh, Lydia, so he's trying to get married to her, and then the Maitlands are trying to stop that from happening, and all this kind of chaos ensues. That was kind of cinematic gold. Those those ten minutes as well. And
1: I think the great thing about that scene too, and you see bits of it in the other parts of the movie, but I think Tim Burton's visual style. He also did claymation, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, not as much as he does in this film. You would look at this film and be like, oh, he's got claymation. He's got Gumby style you know, special visual effects, but it works for this movie. It doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel like, oh, why, why are we doing claymation visual effects here? You know, you've got this giant sand snake that's out there that looks straight out of Gumby. It just works for this film. And especially yes. in that final scene, like I think there's a lot of it. You see a lot of Tim Burton in that final scene. You can almost sum up Tim Burton approaches his movies or the look that he likes on that climactic scene of this film.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the time when this movie came out, when it was made, the effects were used at that time in like this universe to make this this masterpiece. Like imagine if that sand stake was CGI today, it wouldn't feel Tim Burton. Oh, no, I think
1: it almost in a way just kind of embodies Tim Burton as well. Because you can tell Tim Burton is just a kid in an adult's body. He's having a good time. This is his his playground. This is, you know, film is his his sandbox. And he's just a little kid. You know, he designed those, like the sea snake, a lot of the the creatures in here. He hand drew himself. I think everybody kind of knows that he used to be an animator for Disney right. um, early in his career. You know, and his, I feel his... kind of
0: like a kid when I watch it. Maybe because, yeah. I, I don't know if it's because I was a kid and I saw it, but. I don't know. You get the you get the feel goods of like just being young and being in like this mood of having fun and being kind of scared and silly and odd. You can kind of just do whatever or feel whatever you want to feel, and just it's okay because that's that's Tim Burton for you. Before we kind of wrap up, I have some did you know trivia for you uh, about Beetlejuice, and I want to run these by you, Troy. Did you know that this film was the first DVD sent out by Netflix in nineteen 19- Ninety-eight. How about yeah. them apples? I was the guy you who rented, rented it. it. You're the first no. guy that ordered it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I did not know that. Did you know I actually did sign up for Netflix in 1998?
0: You did? Yeah. I mean, I, I had a I, DVD account too. I used to get them in the mail. I don't think it was 98, 1998 though. <laughs> I
1: was a very early subscriber to. Netflix. When I heard their model, I was like, "Oh, sign me up. I can get three movies at once and it's only, I think back then it was 7.99, 6.99 a month." I was in it. But I had no idea that Beetlejuice was the very first DVD.
0: Yes, that is a true story. And what do you know? Netflix is still around today and it's huge and you don't can't get DVDs anymore, but that's how it all started with Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is not streaming on Netflix right now, I don't think, right? It is not. It is streaming on HBO Max, which either I didn't realize or maybe it just started streaming the day after I watched it. Because I watched it like on September 29th, maybe like before October, and I couldn't find it anywhere. So either I didn't look hard enough or they just started streaming it on October 1st. But yeah, you can see it on HBO Max right now. Why Why did I say HBO Max? It's called Max. Let's get it right. Okay. Just Max, right? Other trivia effect uh trivia fact for you. Uh the visual effects budget was only 1 million dollars for this film which was a major factor in Tim Burton making the effects look as tacky and B-movie as possible. And yeah, there's not like amazing, like there's no, obviously CGI didn't exist by then, but it felt kind of like B-movie special effects, but it still worked. It wasn't a big budget film, I think, at that time. He made it work and feel right in this Beetlejuice universe, for lack of better terms.
1: You mentioned it earlier. If there was CG in this, I don't think it would be the same movie. I don't think it would have the same charm that this movie has if it had a major visual effects budget and they went all out to make it look as, you know, part of the real world as possible. Tim Burton films to me aren't about that anyway. Even in the Batman movie, he was very, he used practical effects. I think there's that famous scene where, you know, Batman's got Kim Basinger and you can tell it's a doll on a string, you know, kind of hanging there. But yeah, I think. That's part of his visual style too. He he doesn't spend a lot of money on visual effects. This movie, half of its charm is because the visual effects are claymation
0: style. I agree. I don't know. Maybe it was just back in those days directing. I'm not saying it was more difficult, but you had to have a different kind of skill set to make the movie and special effects work and be believable because you couldn't just hire some VFX company to put something together for you, right? I think certain directors were able to do that extremely well back in those days and we know who they are but different time period altogether we'll kind of skip past the last few trivia questions that i don't want to dwell on lot a beetlejuice trivia but let's talk about kind of what's happening these days so did you know i guess this could be trivia maybe you do know don't know beetlejuice 2 is actually in production and it's set to come out in 2024 how about that? I mean, this movie has always
1: been talked about having a sequel. I did not know that one was actually in production now, but I know they've always been talking about a sequel to it. Tim the-
0: Burton's doing it. Michael Keaton's supposed to come back. Yeah, but um, you know,
1: Jenny Ortega in it. another writer. Uh, and, Monica Bellucci and I love Jenny Ortega. I love Monica Bellucci, but I just feel the first movie ended perfectly. There's no need to go further. And there was—I don't know if you remember—but there was an animated series, Beetlejuice. Yeah, you're Part not of stoked me, on it. You're not stoked. I'm—I'm I'm not stoked because sometimes this is just a money grab. And I—I I hope I'm wrong. I hope. The movie is awesome and it's a great sequel to the original, but most of the time, these
0: are just money grabs. I mean, I I do think it's a money grab, but here's what I also think as well. It might be good. It might be bad. Don't know. We're hoping for it to be good. But Some of these sequels too, these directors and actors are all getting older. I don't think they want to die and regret, like we should have just did one more film or tell this additional story to this character. Tim Burton's not going to be around forever. So maybe he wants to do just one more Beetlejuice or Michael Keaton was, has more to give to the characters. So I don't want to deny them that, but it's a fine line. I, I get it. But yeah, I think they they want to give more to this character and to the fans of these characters because it's theirs too well he doesn't like get fall flat but i think that's part of it
1: one of my very favorite films that came out in the last 10 years is mad max fury road george miller decided to go back to that franchise and i was the same way i was kind of like oh this is a money grab you know why are we doing this but that movie is fantastic And I love that movie. And I'm so glad he decided to go back into the world of Mad Max. That's probably
0: my favorite Mad Max movie as well. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it works. I think, yeah, I think you could have reason to be skeptical a little bit too, because Tim Burton's recent films haven't like, Blown the socks off of anybody like Dumbo. There, I mean, it was K, okay, but nothing that great. The live action Dumbo, that is well, and that's not...
1: why I'm kind of wary about this because I feel like, oh, this is Tim Burton, wants a hit, he hasn't had a hit in a while. People have been clamoring for a Beetlejuice sequel. People are going to go out and see it just for the nostalgia's sake for it. Is it going to be a good movie? It's not. I hope I'm wrong. I don't know if you're aware of this, but they did also do a Broadway version of this of Beetlejuice. So there is a musical out there called Beetlejuice and I've listened to the songs and they're actually quite catchy and, and funny. I really do want to see. The There's Beetleju- currently
0: a, a Broadway production now?
1: I don't think it's running on Broadway now. I think okay. it's on the road, but there is a Beetlejuice musical, which is based on the songs that I've heard and
0: uh, the reviews is actually quite funny and really good. Okay. I'd be down to see that. I mean, it'd be a little weird having Beetlejuice not be played by michael keaton but it's broadway you can accept that <clears throat> i've always wanted to dress up as beetlejuice for halloween but like it's kind of an elaborate costume you know you got to get the whole black and white striped suit you got to do a lot of makeup or wear like a big mask and so it's a, well, kind of a big production i, I love beetlejuice costumes when i see them
1: you and Aaron could either do beetlejuice and lydia
0: or do a take on the maitland's And see if people know who you are. The Maitlands, I could could do Adam because I have the plaid shirt, red undershirt, the the black and white plaid, the red undershirt, the pants. I can get that mask of him like when he turns himself inside out in his head. Yeah. Um, I think it might scare my kids, but I do kind of want to do that too.
1: I think that would be a good for you and Aaron to dress up as the maintenance I, and I you could put that that dress, you know, Aaron can wear that dress that she's that she's in the entire movie. Because that's another thing about this. They're stuck in the house and they're wearing
0: the same clothes that they died in. Good point. Are you going to dress up for Halloween this year? You got any costumes going on? You've had some good costumes before, Troy. I Pirate um, Roberts one year. Classic. Yes. I always wind
1: up dressing up for Halloween. I always say I'm not going to. I probably will. I haven't decided on the costume yet. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll have pictures of it on the, in the comments for
0: yeah. one of these podcasts. On our, on, our, on our Instagram page, we'll put some uh, Popcorn Society uh, Halloween costumes for you guys. As you can tell, ladies and gentlemen, Troy and I have adoration for this film. We're so giddy just talking about it with each other in the audience. Troy, thank you for talking Beetlejuice with me. Any final thoughts on Tim Burton, Danny Elfman, Michael Keaton, Beetlejuice experience, any last parting words or comments?
1: I will just say this. Whenever people ask me about Tim Burton, you know, I always say that Beetlejuice is my favorite film. And I say, if you ever want to know what Tim Burton's directing style is like, his approach towards filmmaking, watch Beetlejuice. I would say watch Beetlejuice and then watch Batman, but for me, Beetlejuice is quintessential Tim Burton. If you love Tim Burton and you've never seen Beetlejuice, then there's something wrong with you. You've either had a lobotomy, your soul died a long time ago. Anybody there claims to be a Tim Burton fan and they've never seen Beetlejuice, they are not a Tim
0: Burton fan. I agree wholeheartedly. I would actually would love to talk to you more about the Tim Burton, Danny Elfman universe i love to talk to you about Batman 89, Edward Scissorhands. I love that film. That's probably more the quintessential Tim Burton, any album experience. I love the score, everything about that movie during the holidays. Beetlejuice, great movie. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you haven't seen it, go see it, show it to your kids. It's not that scary. If it's a little scary, they'll get over it. What, <laughs> what an experience uh, talking about Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Troy, we're going to keep this theme going, this genre going for October this month of Halloween. What do we got coming up next?
1: Well, next we're going to go for a more classic horror story, The Haunting, which came out in 1966 and based on the Shirley Jackson novel. There was a remake done in the 90s by Jan de But we will be talking about the original directed by Robert Weiss. It's one of my all-time favorite horror films we will talk about the next
0: episode and you'll get my take on it and Bryn I don't think you've seen it before have you I have not I mean I saw the remake I didn't know or I forgot it was actually a remake there was an earlier version in the 60s and you said it's black and white right wow this is going really classic mode for Troy and myself for Popcorn Society hey it's gonna be awesome can't wait all right ladies and gentlemen well thank you for tuning in hope you enjoyed it comment on our spotify page you can hear you can hear us on spotify apple podcasts google amazon uh, amazon is out there audible so we're out there ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening for popcorn society till next time troy you keep popping my friend no kernel left unpopped no kernel left behind take care everybody Peace bye out.